and Zion, how's everybody doing again? Awesome. Happy 4th of July-ish. I don't know. It's technically the third. Uh, we're so glad you're here. If you're new with us, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we recognize that this is a time of year when people come from all over. We have people out of town, people who maybe just come for church in the park, because let's be honest, sometimes it's really easier to come when you can just kind of blend in and not feel like you're the only new face in the crowd. So for whatever reason you're here, we're so glad you are. Um, we are in the middle of a series called This Is How I Fight, where we've been exploring. Sorry, my computer shut down on me here. There we go. There we go. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called This Is How I Fight, where we've been exploring uh, a series dedicated to helping us better understand the world we live in and the battle raging in the unseen, the invisible world around us that the Bible calls the heavenly realm. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about how the devil and his demons are the ultimate bullies. How many of you maybe in the last couple weeks have felt the presence of that bully kind of messing with you? Anybody here besides me? I'll tell you, since we stepped into this series, uh, it's very clear that we are in spiritual warfare. We felt it as a church. I felt it as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, and just quite frankly, as someone who loves Jesus. But here's the thing. Satan, our bully, knows that he will not ultimately defeat us. He knows that because our victory is in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the thing. Satan knows that he's won, but what he can do is that he can delay and distract us from the abundant life that we are promised in Jesus. The Apostle Paul and Peter give us a way to stand up to Satan's bullying, and that's really what we're going to be focusing on over the next several weeks. The first part of this series was talking about the spiritual war that's going on and, and the reality of it. And now we're moving into, starting last week, we're moving into how do we practically fight in this? And Paul and Peter gave us away as, as well as James, and it's simple, resistance. Sometimes the problem is, is that resisting the enemy can feel very passive because it, sometimes it feels like we're not moving forward. But here's the thing. The reason why we're not always moving forward is because we're moving against something. Does that make sense? Sometimes when we're in those moments when we're trying to resist the lies of the enemy, yeah, sometimes life feels like it's stuck. But in reality is we're not moving backwards. We're pressing up against an enemy who wants to destroy. And so here's why we bring this up. Satan doesn't know your thoughts. Only God does. Satan is not equal with God. He's, they're not two equal forces like, the, like in the Jedi's versus the Sith. That's not what's going on. Satan was a created being who fell, who rebelled against God. He is not like God. He is a fallen angel. We also know is that if you are a follower of Jesus and have placed your hope and trust in, in Jesus, Satan doesn't have rights or claim to you. That's a truth, because in Christ, you belong to King Jesus. Now, please hear this, and, and I, 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 this may not be popular right now, but my job is not to be popular. If I wanted to be popular, I'd sell ice cream. My job is to proclaim the truth of God's word, and here's what I want you to hear, is that if you are not a Christian, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus as king of your life, technically, you're fair game. You are fighting a spiritual war in your own power, in your own strength, 
with no authority, with nothing standing behind you. In fact, if you are not a Christian, you are defenseless in this war. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to be. He wants you to be defenseless. And, and how we move into that defense is not in our strength, but in Jesus. Now, why does this matter? Well, I think what happens is that many Christians do not fully realize is that you don't have to be bullied anymore. That you don't have to experiencing the, the, the bullying of Satan and his demons and the lies that he brings. You actually have a choice because of the name of Jesus. You have authority. Authority over the lies spoken about you, to you, and even over you. You have authority in the heavenly realm to step in to that authority through Christ, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Amen? And so what does that look like for us? See, you and I, if you are a Christian, if you've surrendered your life, you have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity, inside of us. And that Holy Spirit allows you and I to walk in boldness and courage. But here's the thing, and this is important. Satan is really sneaky. Satan is conniving and manipulative, and he never really comes straight out and messes with God's people. He usually tries and finds other ways to get to them. Sometimes it's through other people. Sometimes it's even through Christians. Sometimes it's through the church. And our job is to be aware of that. Now, harder still is the fact that this war, though its effects are in the natural, though we see them in the world around us, it all starts in the unseen realm. So how do we resist an enemy that we cannot see? How do we stand against an enemy that sometimes uses flesh and blood, but that's exactly it. Satan is a user. He uses people. He abuses people, and when he's done with them, he discards people. The answer is we have to know how our enemy works. Last week, Jennifer Colby, our adult ministries director, did a great job in starting us off on the series of resistance, and she talked about resisting through the power of words and understanding that Satan's first means of attacking us is often through words. And that if we don't understand this, those words that sometimes we speak internally to ourselves usually were spoken over us. And here is kind of the summation of what she gave us last week. The enemy uses the words spoken over us to become the words spoken out of us. That is that the things that have been said to us, we internalize and eventually those words begin to come out of this, whether they are spoken verbally or written to us online. Now, I want to give a very loving challenge to everybody who's hearing this. Whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to hear this. Don't think that just because you posted your words on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever else thing platform you're using that because you wrote the words down that they're any less powerful. In fact, I would argue is sometimes those words are more powerful because they show up in your feed and you can go over them over and over again. And here's what breaks my heart. It's so easy to be harsh, critical, and unchristlike when you can't see the person face to face, isn't it? I am utterly disgusted 
by the amount of rhetoric taking place online around areas of disagreement where people are, are going after. And here's the thing. I see Christians, pastors, leaders, people who I know love Jesus. When they get online, it's like their brain checks out at the door and Satan gets a hold of their fingertips and they just say the most deplorable things. Our words matter. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that the words we speak and the words we write have an impact? And our job is to submit. Now, here's what Jennifer brought us to, and, and I, I want to kind of bring this out. How many of you guys have ever heard the, the phrase, garbage in, garbage out? How many of you ever heard that phrase? Well, here's essentially what it means is that whatever you put into you will ultimately come out of you. If you put garbage into your mind and into your heart, what eventually is going to come out? Garbage. Now, the idea simply comes down to this is that here's the thing. When we look at being a follower of Jesus, there's another way of looking at garbage. Where do you take garbage to ultimately? The dump. Right? Isn't that where garbage goes? The garbage ultimately goes to the dump. Here's what I want you to hear. You are not a garbage dump. You are not worth taking other people's trash that they speak over you or that you speak over everybody else. And as followers of Jesus, the only time the Bible ever calls something trash or garbage, it's never a person. It's about the things that we do. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way, is that our good deeds are like garbage. Our trophies, our accolades, the things that we think prop us up that define us, in comparison to Christ, it's all worthless. So for you and I, some of you here have bought into the lie that you're a garbage dump, that it's okay taking people's trash that they give to you and you deserve it. No, you don't. You don't have to live in the power of those words. You actually, in the name of Christ, can reject those words because you're not trash. So don't let Satan use other people, their trash words to fill your heart with garbage. Amen? So when we look at this, this means that when either the enemy or his demons or someone else uses garbage words, in the name of Jesus, do what you do with all garbage. Throw it out. Let it go to the dump. We need to stand differently. We resist the devil as a bully when we speak truth over the garbage lies in our life. Some of you here today need truth over the garbage that's been spoken over you. In the name of Jesus, it's possible. There is freedom. This morning, we're going to look at another key strategy. Last week, Jennifer looked at words. This week, we're going to look at another strategy the enemy likes to use. It's ones that, if I'm being very real with all of you, is probably one which holds me captive the most. Fear. I got to tell you, originally, this was not what I was going to preach on this morning. I'd been studying and prepping for a couple weeks for this morning, and, and I had a direction. And as I got down to begin to write out my message, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Jason, I don't want you to preach on that. I want you to preach on fear, because right now, how many of you would agree with me that fear seems to be taking our nation captive? Fear seems to be spreading throughout the world, throughout the United States, and it's spreading into the church. And so here's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how do we resist the lie of fear as believers in Christ. Would you stand with me? And if you're able to, if you have a Bible or the Zion app or Facebook, 
Or if you want to turn to your Bibles in Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read our scripture over us. I'm going to give you a second for those who want to find it online. And if you're able to find it, or maybe you have this popular verse memorized, and if you don't have it, just simply receive the word of the Lord over you. Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. All right, here we go. If you're able to read it out with me, read it out with me. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the word of the, word, word, word of the Lord. Those are words. I have them, people. Praise be to God. You may be seated. I want you to take a moment and think about how much fear controls us as people. I want you to think about for just a moment, what are the areas in your life where fear maybe has a grip? What are the things that when you give it a second, your heart maybe sinks, you get a little anxious, you get overwhelmed. How much of our news and social media is rooted in fear? Fear of losing rights, fear of violence, fear of failure, fear of being alone, fear of missing out, also called FOMO. I have big FOMO. I'm always afraid of missing out. How about this fear of being wrong, fear of being right, fear of death, fear of success, fear of losing power or control, fear of being helpless or useless, fear of change, fear of asking for help or letting others down. This is just a small glimpse. In that list, how many of you found one of those things that sometimes freaks you out? Let's be honest. You found one thing that you're like, yeah, I'll tell you there were several on here that as I was thinking through these, I'm like, man, some of these really hold me captive. Now, there is good fear. There is healthy fear. Healthy fear is what says, hey, don't run on top of a nine-story building's ledge. That's not safe. That's healthy fear. Healthy fear reminds us that there is a holy God who is bigger, who is omnipotent, omnipowerful, omnipresent, omniscient, who is God and I am not, and therefore I need to give him credit where credit is due. I need to worship him. That's holy fear. But there's unhealthy fear that captivates us. There's unhealthy fears that move in the way. And I believe one of Satan's biggest weapons in his arsenal is fear. There was uh, an ancient Chinese general named Sun Tzu. Probably many of you have heard of him. He wrote a very famous book called The Art of War. Sun Tzu actually was paraphrased, and I had heard this many times before, is know your enemy. Now, when I first wrote this, because I'm not very good at spelling or at least grammar, I wrote N-O, your enemy, not K-N-O-W, your enemy. And one of, during our sermon read-through, one of our staff went, that's actually true. Sometimes we need to tell the devil no, right? So here's what we're going to do real quickly. We're going to speak out against fear and we're going to say no. So on the count of three, I want all of you to yell out no with me. One, two, three. No! Sometimes we got to tell the devil no, don't we? 
But Sun Tzu says it's not the N-O-W, uh, the N-O that we need to worry about. Sometimes it's the K-N-O-W. We need to know our enemy. And there's a quote that he's often said, and I want to read to you the full quote of what she said because it's actually very biblical. If you know the enemy and know yourself, this is Sun Tzu writing this several hundred years ago. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but don't know the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you don't know either your enemy or yourself, you will lose every battle. Now, here's why this matters. Put another way, it kind of looks like this. You can know your enemy. You can understand your enemy's tactics. But if you don't know yourself, if you don't know where your weaknesses are, where your fears are, where your strengths are, where your resources, the heavenly resources at our disposal are, you're going to lose more often than you win. Because here's the thing. Satan is not stupid. Satan understands that the best thing he can do is he knows himself but he also studies his enemy. He knows about God. He even knew God. He had relationship with God. And he also hates God and he hates God's people, which means Satan studies you. The enemy knows your weaknesses. He knows your fears. But if you don't know what you're afraid of, that means the enemy can mess with you on things you don't even know matter to you. How many of you get, get what I'm saying there? That the enemy can actually do things to you, whisper lies to you, bring people into your life that will pick at those insecurities in your life. So that's great that you know your enemy, but if you don't know yourself, you're going to lose more often than you win. Now, the other side of this is that there are some people who they want to do all the self-help stuff. They're reading all the books. They're, they're all about knowing themselves, but they don't know the lies of the enemy. They don't know the devil's schemes as the apostle Paul talks about them. They've done nothing to understand the heart of our enemy. These people want to deny, and some of these people are in the church where they think spiritual warfare is something those weird charismatic people do. That, you know, as Lutherans, we don't do spiritual warfare. Satan is just this, it's just evil in the world instead of a malevolent presence, a personhood, an angel who actually has a will. Here's the last part. There are some in the church who focus only on spiritual warfare and pay no attention to themselves. They'll say things like this, Jason, I don't need self-awareness. All I need is Jesus. All I need is Jesus because the victory is Jesus, so I don't need to know myself at all. I just proclaim Jesus. Now, of the two, those who only study themselves and don't understand that there's an enemy, or compared to those who will say, listen, it's only in Jesus' name, I don't need self-awareness. I would rather stand with the person who sides with Jesus and doesn't know themselves than the person who knows themselves and doesn't have Jesus. Y'all get what I'm saying? I'd rather stand with the person who's saying, hey, victory is found in Jesus. But Jesus wants you to understand who you are and who the enemy is. He wants you to be aware of how the enemy will mess with you. Because when you have that, now you know how to stand firm, how to resist. And if we look at this from a biblical perspective, if we look at this through the lens, we need to understand that spiritual warfare matters to God. And that 
as we focus on God, our attention, when we discover those areas, those weak spots in our armor, we all have them, that that's where we need to be especially on guard. That's where we need to be aware. That's where we need the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps. We need God's word to strengthen us in those areas where we might be weak because Satan will mess with them. See, Satan understands how to tailor, how to conform his attacks to what he knows will inflict the most doubt, anxiety, worry. In other words, he knows exactly how to pick at your fear. Some of you this week have felt that. When fear gets the best of you, you end up not being the best version of you. Let me say that one more time. When fear gets the best of you, you end up not being the best version of you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When I'm afraid, the Jason who loves Jesus, the Jason who tends to think rationally, fear does interesting things to me. I am not at my best when I'm operating in fear. And the enemy knows that. And you're not at your best when, and when fear gets a hold of you. So how do we resist fear? Well, there's a few things I want to talk about this morning. First is we need to understand what fear does to us. Fear chokes out faith. Fear can make us reactive Instead of trusting in God, we react to fear, we react in the flesh, we react to what feels like we're in control. It chokes out faith. Fear tells us what we're going through is something God cannot carry us through. When fear gets a hold of us and we're no longer operating in faith, we now think, oh my gosh, maybe what I'm going through is too big for God. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe it's such a small thing in God's perspective that he's, just, he's not worried about it. The third thing is fear produces failure. It causes the very thing that you're most terrified of happening to happen. When fear gets a hold of us, the thing that we are so afraid of happening ends up happening. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, God wants more from us from this, and this is the last one, is that fear ultimately fuels insecurity, selfishness, anger, despair, and loneliness. And in the end, fear produces death. I want to bring us back to the story of King Saul. Jennifer shared about King Saul last week, and I want to highlight one story about King Saul's life. King Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody in Israel. He looked like someone who would be a great leader. He was handsome, he was tall, he came from a respectable family. But there was one glaring problem, one insecurity in Saul, and that is Saul was controlled by fear. And so God raises King Saul up because the people wanted a king. God said, okay, if you want a king, I'm going to give you one. Before that, God's people were led by priests and prophets called judges. And we have this priest, this prophet named Samuel. Samuel was the one who would come and he still would lead and guide. So the king would go to the prophet or priest and say, okay, what is the will of God? And the priest would then communicate to the king, here's what God wants you to do. In this case... God tells the prophet Samuel to tell Saul, listen, you're going to go to battle. 
but I don't want you to go to war with the Philistines yet. I want you to wait until the prophet Saul show, or Samuel shows up. When Samuel shows up, he's going to offer a sacrifice. Once that sacrifice is done, then you can go to war and I will deliver the Philistines to you. You will win against the Philistine army. Now, here's the thing. Israel is a small, very tiny nation. The Philistines were huge. You guys are actually familiar with the Philistines because the Philistines brought out a giant named Goliath. You all know that guy, Goliath, right? Goliath was a Philistine soldier. Now, this is a totally different battle. So Saul, King Saul, takes his men, he goes into this valley, and he's getting ready to fight the Philistines. Now, the prophet Samuel said, listen, here's the thing, Saul. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come for a week, seven days, and seven days I'll be there, but I want you to set up camp, get ready, and when I come to sacrifice, once I've sacrificed at the altar, then you can go to battle. But until then, I just want you to hold tight. So King Saul and his men go into the valley, and they set up shops, so to speak. They, shut up, they set up encampments, and all around them are the Philistine army, and the Philistine army is huge. There's chariots and horses. Their armies significantly larger than the Israelite army. And King Saul sees them. And King Saul's men, the army, gets freaked out. And they start panicking. They look around and they only see how big the enemy is, not how big their God is. And as a result... The, the men begin to flee. They begin to hide. They run to neighboring villages. They run into cliffs. Some of them even hide in cistern wells because they're so afraid. Seven days goes by. It's the, the morning of the seventh day, and King, Sam, King Saul is waiting for the prophet Samuel, and Samuel's not there yet. And so King Saul, because he's worried about the opinions of his men. He's afraid, not of the Philistine army. He's afraid of his men's opinions, how they think of him. He tells them, hey, listen, Samuel's not here yet. It's the morning of the seventh day. So why don't you get me the offering? Get me the sacrifice. I'll do it since Samuel's not here yet. King Saul then takes the offering. He, sends a, he, he burns an offering to the Lord. All of a sudden, the prophet Samuel shows up and the prophet Samuel sees the altar of the offering that he was supposed to do. And he comes up and Saul, thinking he's being a good king, this is what king, good kings do. Good kings take control. My army was starting to lose heart by the size of the enemy. So I took control because that's what leaders do. And Samuel looks at him and he says, Saul, what have you done. And King Saul goes, well, you weren't here yet. You said you'd be here on the seventh day and it's the morning of the seventh day and you weren't here. So I just figured, you know, my men were freaked out and, and I, you know, I want to look good for my men. So I made the offering and Samuel looks at King Saul and he says, it is a bad thing you have done. You were more afraid of the opinions of men than you were of the commands of God. Because of this, King Saul, God was originally going to leave a dynasty with you. You would impact generations. Your name would be elevated throughout history. But now, because you cared more, because you were more afraid of men than of God, you were going to lose the very thing that you were trying to hold on to. Now, I want to stop for a second here. 
it's really easy for me to get super judgy about Saul and going, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. He waited a whole week in the midst of a battle, seven days. Do you know how many times I take control in just one or two days of waiting on the Lord? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Things aren't going my way and I'm like, Lord, where are you? You're not here yet. Two days goes by and so I do what I do. I begin to take control. I move in instead of trusting God. Well, sometimes I don't even wait days. Sometimes I just wait moments. Sometimes fear becomes so big, so overwhelming to me that instead of waiting on the Lord, instead of trusting in God's promises, I go to take control. I have a sense that some of you here this morning know exactly what I'm talking about. That there are some of you in this crowd right now who are operating in fear and rather than trusting in God's promises about your finances, about your family, about your future, about your health, you're now moving, you're acting. Now, Saul wasn't actually afraid of the Philistines. How do I know this? Because the reason Saul sacrificed the altar, the offering, was because he knew that God would show up if the offering was made. The problem was he wasn't supposed to make the offering. Samuel was. Saul's greatest fear, and I believe this is the fear that plagues most of us in the church today, is fear of man. That Saul was more afraid of what other people thought about him instead of fearing who God was and what God thought about him. I can tell you that fear of man has captured my heart at times that I, I, I've had to admit to myself, I realized this a few years ago, I'm actually, I do care what people think. I'm a people pleaser. Can I get hands raised? Are there any other people pleasers out here? Am I the only people pleaser? Thank you. Some of you are just doing it to make me happy. You don't want me to feel alone, right? People pleasing was one of those things that about two years ago, I realized, oh my gosh, I make a lot of decisions out of fear of other people. Fear that they won't like me. Fear that they won't want me. Fear that they won't need me. Fear that they'll not think I'm a good pastor or a good leader. And that fear, when I let it take control, usually, here's what I've discovered, usually when I make decisions out of fear of man, I don't make the right decision. Fear chokes out faith. Fear choked out Saul's faith. Fear of man, instead of just waiting for the whole day to go by, Saul was like, oh, it's day seven, we should go. Had he waited, King Saul would have had the line of David. Instead of being the line of David, it would have been the line of Saul. But King David or King Saul let fear choke out his faith in God. Rather than trusting in God, he trusted in his own decisions. Now, I, I want you to hear this, and please hear my heart. For a lot of the church today in America, it seems like we've put our trust in way too many other things than Jesus. We've put our trust in how we fight. And how can I say this? Because when things don't go our way as a church, we fight. We argue. We post things online, we text message each other, we gossip, we slander. And instead of trusting in Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice, we feel like we've got to sacrifice something instead. And usually what we sacrifice is our witness. 
We sacrifice the witness of Christ and the reputation of Jesus. I don't really, this is going to sound bad. At the end of the day, I'm not worried about the reputation of Zion. I'm worried about the reputation of Christ. We don't exist for Zion's sake. We exist for Jesus' sake. Amen? That's who we are. At the end of the day, the Z is just a letter. It's the cross that we are here today. The cross is what will keep us here, hopefully, for another 150 years. Not the name Zion. We need to not be afraid. And in the midst of all the political turmoil going on right now, instead of worrying about our rights, what we should be worrying about is our witness. We should be asking, are we letting fear get in the way of how Jesus is perceived in the world? So now, here are a few other things that I want to get into. When Saul reigned, ultimately, now this is crazy to think about. Saul started his reign at 30 years old. He reigned for another 42 years. He was king for 42 years, and he had just learned, this is the beginning of his reign as king, God said, listen, I'm removing my anointing from you because you fear man instead of me. He reigned for 42 years, and those 42 years were not good. They were struggled. They were filled with insecurity, selfishness, anger, despair, loneliness, and eventually... His fear caused him his death and the death of his son. Now, you want to know the most profound part of this story and all of this? Is that as we begin to understand that Saul's fear was not the enemy, or at least the Philistines, his fear was other people. I want you to think for a second, are you captured by the fear of man? Do you care more about what other people think about you instead of what God thinks about you? Do you let the opinions of people get in the way of the joy of the gospel? Do you make decisions out of fear instead of faith? I know I do. So as we look at this, how do we move forward? How do we move forward in such a way that we can now resist Fear, because this is what fear, how the enemy wants to use fear. He wants to use fear to undermine us, to get in the way of what God has for us. But if you are in Christ, here are some realities for you. If you are in Christ, you may not be a king, but you are a son and daughter of the king. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You are a prince and a princess of the kingdom of the Lord if you belong to Jesus. We are at war, but our war is not against culture or against a people group. Our war is against the unseen enemy, the devil and his lies and the things that he does. We will win this war through sacrifice, but it's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, not the sacrifice you make, it's the sacrifice Christ made. And lastly, it's this. Saul, the whole reason why Saul ended up being taken over by the enemy is that he lacked self-awareness. He lacked the awareness to recognize that he feared people more than he did God. Maybe, just maybe, if Saul had been honest with himself and could acknowledge and recognize the fear in himself, maybe he would have waited. Maybe his story could have been different. My hope here today is that, one, you will live knowing that you don't have to live in fear, but you do get to live in faith. And that faith allows us to operate differently. Now, maybe you are controlled by the fear of other people's opinions. 
of their positions. Maybe you're afraid of letting people down or not being liked or loved. Maybe you don't struggle with fear of man. Maybe your fear is fear of failure, fear of pain, of being controlled. Maybe you're afraid of financial ruin or fear of the unknown or fear of being alone. Some of you are so afraid of making the wrong decision that you make no decision at all, which in itself is still a decision. Fear is something we can resist. So how do we do it? How do we recognize and resist the fear and the devil schemes? Well, I want to invite you to stand with us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Here's how we resist the devil. We just talked about it first. We know our enemy. We acknowledge that our enemy is sneaky and conniving. We acknowledge that he hates us and that he is doing everything he can to destroy us. We acknowledge that he knows how to pick at those weak spots. Second, we must know ourselves. We must be honest about our own weaknesses. Where are the areas in our lives? What are the things that keep us up at night? What are the things that make our hearts sink? What's the secret that you're terrified of people finding out? The lie that you've let define you or rob you of your joy and identity. Third, the way we resist is we know our identity and source of security, which is found in Christ Jesus. I want to read the beginning of Romans chapter 8, verses 31. This is before what we read today. Listen to what Romans 8 says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. In Christ Jesus, you are not condemned. You are free in Christ. Past sins, past failures, those secrets that you carry, those fears that are holding you back, in Jesus' name, you are free. Amen? Amen. In Christ, you are free. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, Christ was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to a slaughtered. Now here we go. Now in all these things, you and I in Christ Jesus are more than conquerors. Say that with me. We are more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's give a clap for the Lord. <laughs> Lastly, we must claim our authority in Christ. When you go on a plane and you bring baggage, you leave it at the baggage checkout line to go claim it. In Jesus' name, you have authority. Here's the problem. Too many of you have left it at the altar of heaven and not claimed it for yourself. 
You have authority in Jesus. We need to claim that authority in Jesus' name. That is how we resist. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've declared Jesus as Lord, you have authority to resist fear in Jesus' name. And that leads us to trust and obedience. As we sing our final song, this is how I fight. If there are areas in your life that you are being controlled by fear, where fear is holding you hostage, I want you to hear this right now. In Jesus' name, you have freedom. You do not have to be afraid anymore. Amen? Let's come and worship the Lord. Let's celebrate what God has done in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.